All right, so we um, are continuing in our series called Big Questions, Biblical Answers, where we have been taking questions from y'all, gathered from y'all at near the end of summer, and uh, we just filter through those, and we want to say, okay, how do we answer some of, like, a lot of these questions about Christianity and culture, and how do we filter it through the lens of Scripture, view it from a biblical worldview, and how do we have the gospel respond uh, to just all of these different questions, because all these questions are, are weighty. There's obviously a story behind each one of these, and we want to handle each one sensitively, but also truthfully through God's Word. So tonight is, is our third and final question about all the different questions we've had about race. And tonight's question is, as a Christian, how do we respond to Black Lives Matter? As a Christian, how do we respond to Black Lives Matter? Obviously, this is something that is a very hot-button issue. Um, this is definitely a, a very big topic we see quite a bit. And so it can be so overwhelming to us. So we think, okay, how do we respond to all of these? Um, how do we see when we just, it's overwhelming on social media and the news and everything else around us. How do we stay rooted in God's Word? And, and how do we view this through a biblical lens? So let's pray. And then I want us to jump into this, okay? So let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you as fallen, sinful human beings in desperate need of your grace. And that we just need your guidance. We need your wisdom and how to view all of this. Lord, I I am completely unable to communicate any of these truths without your Holy Spirit guiding every step of the way. I come before you just honestly nervous and anxious just to even address this question, but would you just give me strength to stand firm on your word and to proclaim the gospel as only you can. So Holy Spirit, would you just open up our minds to even understand and grasp all of this? Would you open up our ears to hear the truths? Would you open up our eyes just to see these truths and see even more of our need for Jesus? Would you open up our hearts And lay them just open so that through your word, you will convict us of sins we need to repent of. That you will give us truths to encourage us every step of the way. And that these truths will just uh, be bore deep in our hearts and bear fruit that ultimately glorifies and honors Christ and conforms us more into his image. It's only by your grace we're able to do any of this. So would you help us do this and continue to make Christ's name known. We pray all of this in the powerful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. Just as last week, as I gave us a verse that was going to kind of guide our conversation, that was going to help kind of guide our journey through this, I want to do the same thing tonight. And so the verse that we're going to look at that's going to help everything is 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. And this is what it says. But test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So when it means test everything, we are to test everything through Scripture. We are to test everything that we see. We are to test everything we hear. We are to test any sort of ideology, phrase, hashtag, anything through the authoritative and sufficient word of God. And then when we do that, we're able to do the next two verses. We're able to hold fast to what is good. 
We're up to abstain from every form of evil. Why? Because it is dictated by the word of God. So as we look at this, this Black Lives Matter, we want to filter it through the lens of Scripture. We want to filter it through Scripture and see what is good that we can point out and what is bad that we can abstain from. So there's three ways that we're going to address this tonight, okay? So there's three ways. The first one is we're going to address Black Lives Matter as a concept. We're going to address Black Lives Matter as an organization. And then we're going to address Black Lives Matter as a message. So those are the three we're going to address. The first one is a concept. So as a concept, we as Christians would agree with the phrase Black Lives Matter. So we as Christians would agree with that concept. We would agree with that phrase, Black Lives Matter. Because again, as we saw last week out of Genesis 1, 27, is that everyone is made in the image of God. So everyone bears the divine imprint of God and has inherent worth and value. So as we saw last week, everyone is made in the image of God. So we would say, yes, out of the overflow of that belief, the Imago Dei, out of the overflow of everyone is made in the image of God, then we would say, yes, black lives do matter because they're made in the image of God. They were someone that Christ died for. They're someone that needs salvation just like anybody else, just like us as well. So yes, we would agree with that. But also something else that we would, reason why we would say this, because of God's common grace God's common grace that he shows to everyone. We can find truth in everything that ultimately points back to God and points back to his word. Like in Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all. Or Matthew 5, 45 and Luke 6, 33 basically says how God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. How God shows this common grace to everyone. So because of this common grace that he shows to everyone both believers and unbelievers, is that we can find truth in everything that ultimately points back to God, points back to His Word, and finds its fulfillment in the gospel. Because here's the thing. Yes, we were created in the image of God, but we're also fallen and sinful human beings. So because we are fallen, sinful human beings, our morality is distorted. Our morality is distorted. There are some things that we will get right. Why? Because we have that divine imprint on our lives, because we are made in the image of God. But there are other things we will get wrong and distort because of our sinful nature, especially when we try to take things into our own hands. So when we look at these phrases, when we look at this phrase, let's say Black Lives Matter, that on the surface, with the concept of it, we would affirm that phrase, again, because it's an overflow of our belief that everyone is made in the image of God. So we would affirm that. But also as last week, as we talked about, if we're only saying, let's say, a particular group matters more than others, or if we're viewing one group higher or lower than others, then we are committing favoritism, which is racism, which is evil and sinful and has no part in the kingdom of God. How in James 2, 1, it says, don't show any favoritism towards any particular group. But if we're just simply saying Black Lives Matter is a concept, we would agree that yes, because they're made in the image of God. But that's the concept. But here's the thing. As an organization, as an organization, we as Christians would disagree with Black Lives Matter. As an organization, we would disagree with Black Lives Matter. So I just want to give a little bit kind of a history lesson, just solely based off their website that I want to go off of. So Black Lives Matter was a group that was founded in 2013 after the acquittal of the police officer George Zimmerman over the death of Trayvon Martin with that interaction. Security officer. officer. Thank you. Security officer. Black Lives Matter is a member-led global network of more than 40 chapters. 
And according to them, they organize and build local power to intervene in violence afflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. And they're a movement that is an ongoing fight to end state-sanctioned violence, liberate black people, and to end white supremacy forever. All of this solely based off their website. Now, what I want us to look at next is the leaders of this organization. So two of the three leaders that founded Black Lives Matter admitted to being trained Marxists, basically being well-versed, studied, and believers in the teachings of Karl Marx. So what I want us to look at is I want us to look at some of the beliefs of Karl Marx, and we'll see how those things are radically against Christianity. So I just want us to look at just a few of the beliefs that Karl Marx held. Okay, so this is Karl Marx, and we want to look at just a few things that he believed that, again, influences two of the three leaders that founded this organization. So here's just some. Karl Marx regarded religion as having little to no worth. But, of course, we see in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1, it says how the fool says in their heart that there is no God. But, again, this is not saying that this person is stupid or anyone is stupid, but that sinful people deny the existence of God. Karl Marx believed that identity, someone's identity came from a group, not you as an individual. So that would go against Genesis 1.27, where it says all of us individually are made in the image of God. And that's where we get our identity from. That is where we get that from. Or in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, where how it talks about God uniquely and wonderfully made us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. How that is individually how he made us. Or this, how Karl Marx did not believe that religious confession could speak out against injustice because that came from outside the group. Well, when it talks about injustice or how religion doesn't speak to that, I want to see how scripture says God is the perfect and only one that can truly speak to justice. So listen just what it says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 where it says this, the rock, God, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So God is just, upright, faithful, and perfect, which means he is perfect to speak on the matters of justice. Or in Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8, where it says this, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness, and he judges the people with uprightness. So God has established his throne for justice and judges his people with uprightness. And then lastly, in Psalm 89, verse 14, where it says this, where it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice, which is what people are ultimately desiring. People are ultimately desiring justice. That is what fueled this. But God is the perfect one to administer justice. Another belief that Karl Marx held to is that he did not take individual evil seriously, and hope that systemic, economic, and political changes would eradicate evil. So basically, he believed if you can change all of the external circumstances, everything external around something, then you would eradicate evil. But when we look at Scripture, it says in Jeremiah 17:9, it says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above everything else. Who can understand it? Or it says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we are dead in our sins. 
we look at that, we see that evil comes from within the hearts. We're born with a sinful nature. And so if we truly want to change the things around them, then it starts with the individual being transformed. The only way someone can be transformed is by the power of the gospel. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. That if we want to see transformation, it starts with the individual being transformed by Christ. And then lastly, Karl Marx thought religion was a barrier to social revolution. Well, of course, the only way that you can see a social revolution, a change in the society, is if you see a change in the people within that society. Well, if you see that a person says they believe that there is no God and want to reject God and they think that is no way to transform it, then you'll see what happens when sin pervades and grows. We even see how in James says when sin is born, it slowly gives birth eventually to death. So you might be asking, okay, why in the world are we talking about these beliefs? Why in the world are we talking about the beliefs that Karl Marx had, that these two out of the three founders hold to and believe in or firm believers in? Why would he look at this? Because those teachings that they believe in are foundational to them and will influence and dictate the organization they are founded and that they are leading. And this is a biblical principle we see in Matthew 7, 17 through 20, where it says, a good tree will produce good fruit and a bad tree will produce bad fruit, that we will know people by their fruits. So whatever something is rooted in, ultimately fruit will be produced by that. So if we have roots in very bad, if we have very bad roots, we're going to have very bad fruit produced. But if we have really good roots, we're going to have good fruit produced. So when we look at this, we see how a lot of these roots are dug into things and beliefs that are totally opposite of Christianity. Then we are now seeing the fruit that is produced in their organization. So here is just some. Here's just at least three of the beliefs that the organization as a, as organization as a whole hold to that we would say is complete opposition to the gospel, to Christianity, and to the Bible. The first one is that they are affirming of LGBTQ plus issues. They're completely affirming of that. When we look at scripture, it says how in Genesis 2, 24, how it says a man shall leave his father and mother and him and his wife shall become one flesh. How we see that, that marriage is meant for one man and one woman for life. And how we see in Matthew 19, 6, where Jesus says, what God has brought together, let no man tear apart. So anything outside of that biblical Belief that God has set before us is sinful against God and goes against his original design. That God made this for the ultimate human flourishing. And anything outside of this is against his original design. So they're LGBTQ plus affirming. Second thing is they are transgender affirming. They're transgender affirming. So if we view this in scripture, we would see in Genesis 1:27, not only are all of us made in the image of God and precious, but also says he made them male and female. That us as followers of Christ, we hold to belief that there was only two genders, male and female, and that God did not make mistakes when he made that. But then lastly, so they're LGBTQ plus affirming, they're transgender affirming, and the third one is that they are against the nuclear family. As they describe, they want to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. So, so father, mother, kids. They want to disrupt that and dismantle that. But when we look at Scripture that we see clearly defined that that is, one of the, that is the first establishment that God gives us is the family. That he establishes the family before anything else. 
And so we see in Ephesians 5.22 how it says, look, wives, submit to your husbands. How it says in Ephesians 5.25, husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Ephesians 6.1, children are to obey their parents. So we see Paul is giving the, the guidelines of what a family looks like, and that's what we're to follow. And so when people try to tear that apart, we're going against the very institution that God has established. Now, something else they talked about is they want to be raised, let's say they want to create a village, if you will, where people are raising each other up and care for one another. And we go back to common grace. That's not necessarily evil. When we tear apart the nuclear family outside of that, then yes, that would be evil. Because in a way, there is people that help care for one another. It's the church. That we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, that if we are in Christ, we are family. Family takes care of one another. But ultimately, it starts with the family first that God has established. Yes, he has given us the family, and he has given us the church. And sometimes the church does help the family, and the family ultimately helps the church in that process. We're not to tear apart the nuclear family in that process. So they're LGBTQ plus affirming, they're transgender affirming, they're against the nuclear family. So we understand the roots of this organization. We're able to understand the fruit that is produced from this organization. That we would see these beliefs, and we filter them through the word of God as we started with, we would see that they don't align with what Scripture says. So as we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, and we filter through the Word of God, we would be wise to abstain from the organization. So we've seen the concept. We've seen the organization. Then last we think, well, what about the message of Black Lives Matter? What about using the hashtag? What about using that apart? And so here's what I would say. As a message, I would recommend we do not use it. So this is just as my recommendation that we do not use the message. And here's why I say that. Culturally speaking, it would be, it'd be better for us to not use that hashtag or to use that phrase. The reason why is because in our culture, when we say those three words, it is a very loaded phrase. We use that hashtag, it is very loaded. That when we see this, we will have a multiple, a multitude of people interpreting that in a multitude of different ways. So when we use the hashtag and we use that phrase, what we're also bringing with it is everything that comes with it, including the organization that is behind it and the movements and promoting that, which also we viewed holds beliefs that are antithetical to the Christian faith and to scripture. Then we try to use that phrase, it's just going to cause a lot more confusion, a lot more division. We have to try to clarify even more past that. Here, here's just another phrase I would say that some people might use, just as an example, is that let's say you hear the word pro-choice. You hear the word pro-choice, and there might be some saying, yeah, they believe, okay, women have a choice in how they want to raise a family, take care of these things. And some of you then say, like, no, like they're choosing to have an abortion, which is against the gospel, which is against Christianity. So when you just say the word pro-choice, you might have a multitude of different things of how people interpret just that one word. And so we may be affirming, let's say, in one area. We might be affirming and let's say that, yes, black lives do matter because ultimately God made them in the image of God. But even that little bit of yeast, if you will, in Scripture it says how a little bit of yeast can leaven and affect the whole loaf, the whole dough. So we may be affirming that one area, but even just that little yeast can leaven and affect the whole dough, the whole loaf of our message. That people might get so caught up in that phrase that the entire message is lost. This is why, as I said last week, we must speak to these issues with biblical terms. 
We saw how last week, we looked at Ephesians 6, 12, how all these things we're addressing with. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but wrestling against the spiritual powers. We're wrestling with truths in this matter. So we are to speak on biblical terms, speaking truth to this. Or how in Romans 12, 2, it says, we are to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have, uh, we have our minds renewed by the word of God. Or how in John 17, 15 through 19, Jesus says how we, we, are, we are not of the world, but we are in the world. Yes, we, we are not of the world, but we're in the world, but we don't want to try to use necessarily some of the worldly things to try to address that. Because again, it could just lead to more confusion and more division. Again, we use worldly terms, phrases, hashtags, but then we have to expound on them or explain more the spiritual reality behind it and clarify like, well, what I mean when I use this phrase is this, that's where I'm coming at it from, and this is how I'm trying to explain it. It, it just only produces more confusion and more division. And so we'd be best just to abstain from using that word, but instead speaking on biblical terms. Because above everything else, we as Christians should be known for the gospel. Above everything else, above a hashtag, above a phrase, above anything else, we should be known for the gospel above everything else. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, that we preach Christ crucified. Which, yeah, may be a stumbling block for many, but it's also the only way of salvation. Or in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said, Look, I came to you knowing nothing except Christ crucified. That we should come to everyone else addressing that we might not know anything, but we know Christ crucified, and that's what we preach and proclaim above everything else. That is the foundation. It should be we as Christians that we are not known, let's say, for an elephant or for a donkey, but we're known for the lamb that marks our lives. That it says in Galatians 2.20, that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That we've been crucified with Christ. It should be that we as Christians, that we're not known for, let's say, worldly hashtags, uh, but for the authoritative, transformative word of God. That it's the word of God that brings conviction. It's the word of God that brings transformation. The faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Or it says in Hebrews 4.12 that his word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's more powerful than any hashtag, any phrase, anything we could imagine. But also in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, that all of scripture is inspired by God. It's good for teaching and correcting and equipping all of us for the good works that he has saved us to. So we must do this with every organization with every phrase, with every hashtag, because ultimately we're to point people to Christ. And we're to filter all of these things through Scripture. So here's just a few things. It should be, uh, instead of, let's say, instead of it being a particular campaign of a candidate, it should be the cross of Jesus Christ that people know us for. It should be, instead of make America great again, it should be make Christ's name known. Instead of, let's say, love wins, it should be, yes, God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that God showed his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It should be that all are made in the image of God, and all have sinned before God, and all are in need of salvation and reconciliation to God, and that God offers reconciliation to all. Are we known ultimately by the cross of Christ? Are we known ultimately by making Christ's name known rather than, let's say, a slogan or phrase? Are we ultimately known by the word of God? And again, because of God's common grace, we can find truth in all of these other things. 
I'm not saying we completely abstain from everything, but we're to filter all of these things. Every platform, every ideology, every hashtag, every phrase, we're to filter it through the Word of God. Because ultimately, the Word of God has the final say-so on all these matters. It is authoritative and is sufficient to address all of these things. So looking at all of this, how does the gospel respond to Black Lives Matter? As we looked at the concept, as we looked at the organization, as we looked at the message, how does the gospel respond to this? And I'll say this, all of us desire justice. I think all of us do. I think all of us see just the injustice around us. And we say, that, that's wrong. Like something's just wrong. Something is off. Like that's just not right. And it bothers us deep within our souls. And that's true because we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of a just God. And of course, when you see these injustices bother us. But again, our view is distorted by sin. So what we must do is, is that we need to bring all of this before God. Because ultimately, one day God will right every wrong. And we will see perfect justice. Of course, that doesn't mean we stop striving now. That doesn't mean we stop striving for justice even now. But again, we strive for justice now, but it's by His guidance, directed by the Holy Spirit and by the truths of His Word. Another way the gospel speaks to all of this is we must filter everything by the word of God so that everything we align with, everything we say, and everything we do is honoring Christ above everything else. Another way that the gospel speaks to this is the only way we will see transformation within a society is if the people within the society are transformed. And that transformation only happens through the gospel. That yes, there might be some things in certain systems and certain institutions that must be changed and tweaked and everything else like that. But if there are sinful people still within those, they can still work within that. We must have the people ultimately transformed and changed. So when people within a society change, then we will see the systems, organizations, etc. change because the desire to honor Christ and glorify Him and make Him known is greater than all of that. And lastly, look, we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we are to stand firm on the gospel and hold fast to the truths of Scripture and proclaim Christ above everything else. Look, hashtags will come and go. Organizations will come and go. But the word of the Lord stands forever. It will not return void. That anyone could be transformed by the gospel. That is the message we are to proclaim above everything else. That is the message we stand on. That is the message we hold firm to. That is the message we boldly proclaim regardless of what the world says around us. Because that is the only thing that will ultimately bring transformation. Because again, the Bible is not, let's say, about a society reform. It's about pointing people to redemption. To salvation. Of course, when we see salvation, then we will see transformation and we will see societal reform, but it only comes through the gospel. So this is what we cling to. This is what we believe. And that's what we hold to when we view this through Scripture, that we are to test everything with Scripture. So that way when we test everything with Scripture, we can hold fast to what is good and we can abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just come before you in in desperate need of you that we just see so much happening around us that people will see this injustice people will see things going on around us we will just think something's wrong but ultimately we have to remember we point back to you that we rest in that we rest in the fact that that you are sovereignly in control 
We rest in the fact that you are a perfect and just God and that we want to make you known through all of the world. And so would you help us as we go through this, as, as we see movements come and go, as we see different hashtags come and go, as we see different organizations come and go, would you help us filter all of this through the word of God and stand firm on your word, knowing that it is sufficient for all of these things, knowing that it is authoritative to speak to all of these things, and knowing that that equips us for every good work that you have prepared for us so we can stand firm on your truths so we can proclaim Christ above everything else. Then we can make Christ's name known. So would you help us, by your grace, cling to the cross? By your grace, would you help us stand firm on these truths? By your grace, would you help us proclaim these truths boldly to those? So that we would ultimately see people come to know Christ and be reconciled and be saved. It's only by your grace we can do any of this. So would you equip us now as we go back into our jobs, back into our schools, back into just our, our teams and everything else in neighborhoods, everywhere else we have divinely places. Would you help us be ambassadors for Christ as we saw? Would you help us implore others on behalf of Christ, be reconciled back to God, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only by your grace we're able to do any of this. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.